Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Warning, this podcast contains paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime cases. The nature of these cases may be gory, unsettling, or vulgar. Please be advised. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Creeps and Crimes Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Morgan and Valerie Retta. This is episode 60. 60. You heard it here first, baby. Yep. Um, Can you guys even believe it? Can you guys fathom it? <laughs> Can you even believe it? I mean, doesn't it like shake you the to big your core? Six, oh, we are 60 weeks old today. <sighs> You know, like, were those moms that are like, oh, she's... Oh, my baby's 60 weeks. She's 60 weeks. Oh, my God. They're like, oh, my God. Great. We're going to get shit on for that. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> no we have a couple birthday shout outs before we start. Oh, my God. We have two things that we have to get off our chest. First, it's the birthdays. Uh, happy birthday, Phoebe, from November 2nd. Happy birthday, Phoebe. Um, Dad, on November 11th. Happy birthday, Chip. And... Lola coming up on the 21st. Happy birthday, Lola. Happy birthday, everybody. Phoebe turned 15. Lola turned 17. And uh, dad turned 21. That is unbelievable. <laughs> Happy 21st, Chip. Happy 21st. Pour one up on Saturday, all right? <laughs> so, um, Morgan, you want to tell them about what the special thing that we have coming soon for them next week? Which is... Our... Thanksgiving episode. Our Thanksgiving episode. Yes, you guys. So this Saturday we are having a little special recording and it is in a different studio and it is with someone, somebody <laughs> and that is going to be released on Thursday and you're going to get all everything that you want. The spookiness, the true criminess, maybe a couple conspiracy theories here or there I might throw in for you. Um, the full trifecta. Yeah. And that is that that is all we can say about it <laughs> uh, and maybe a like friendsgiving moment with a lot of wine oh and that's so sweet that's all we can ask for honestly friendsgiving. and then the last thing that we have to tell you guys is that our youtube is under construction it shit the bed <laughs> it has not been going good for us all right so um from now until january because i have a few different parts that probably won't be here until then and my computer can't be repaired until after our like insane amount of episodes that we have to record for the next two months yeah. um we'll probably start back doing uh all videos on YouTube again, but for as of right now, um, we know next week is gonna for sure. As of right now, 
Okay, don't quote me on this. It should be on YouTube next week's episode. And then um, after that, there's going to be a select few that are. But my computer, guys, is dying. It is not good. Every time I download a single video clip, if it's like eight seconds or 30 minutes long, it doesn't matter. My computer shuts down. And it's not today. And we don't know what to do about it. So I'm looking into getting another computer. I'm looking in for like hard drives and an external disc and easier ways to edit. Throw it out. Please let me know. Jeff from Apple, if you're still listening to us, (laughs) like hit me up. Right. Jeff from Apple. What are you wearing? First question. (laughs) Second question. Are you still listening to us? Are you still here? We need help. Give us a call. Please help us out. So, um, yeah, we have a lot of drama going on with that. And then that's really the only big announcements that we have. So Mm -hmm. if you guys have any advice for us about YouTube, let us know. We're really sorry because we loved our YouTube channel. It was so fun and it's not over, but we're still going to be putting the audio clips on there. If you just like listening on your TV while you clean the house or whatever, like the audio clips are going to be uploaded, but uh, we don't know how many of them will have video clips. I'm going to try to do as many as I can. Yeah. And over the next couple of weeks, play, 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 pay close attention to our Instagram because we're going to be having some fun things going on for the holiday season. Yes. So make like sure you're tuned in on that. Black Friday sales. Ooh, Black Friday sales. Yep. And Maybe like a holiday giveaway. Yeah. You know, you know, know how we, we do. You know what we do you here. Know, last so year's the wine. Make sure you follow over that. Yes. And, um... Morgan, I do have one question for you. So it's not time that we do the, you know, what are you thankful? You know, we do that on Thanksgiving. So I do have just like episode 60. What is your favorite memory so far? Guys, there's a helicopter about to land on my house. I'm pretty positive again. So if you hear it, sorry. My favorite memory so far? Of Creeps and Crimes. Oh my God. Or your favorite episode? I don't know that either. I just came up with this question on the spot. So I don't even know. Um, my favorite recent memory since the launch of season two is probably when we were shit faced drunk a couple episodes ago because our videos were hilarious. Our videos are hilarious. I don't even think that I've even posted those yet. For good reason. Because that's a moment that my computer shit the bed. For a really good reason. But um, yeah, that was that. That was him. That was a good one. What episode was that? Why, why were we so drunk? It was the creepy accounts. Oh, yeah. Right, and we had watched Dancing with the Stars before, and drank a couple. It, I was a bottle bottles. down. Yeah. yeah, it was not good. Um, All right, well, what's yours? I know it's going to be this amazing memory that I have no recollection of. Is <laughs> my memory? I have like no memory at no, all. No, uh, I think mine. I love that night because that night felt like how we felt in our first few months of recordings Mm -hmm. where we would just get absolutely obliterated. And so all of my Snapchat memories right now are of us recording. And I I love it. It's like something I live for. But good times. We needed to take back on the alcohol. (laughs) We needed to grow the fuck up. Literally. So um, that I don't know. I guess just like drinking and like spending time with you and like laughing having all these people like laugh with us all the time oh so you're thankful for me is that your answer next week mm, i'm not gonna say that right now but oh that's so sweet <laughs> yeah guys but it's uh 10 30 on wednesday night so you guys will be listening to this in an hour and a half so i guess we better get started ah, with the episode. yeah 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 all right if you're driving throw that shit on cruise control if you got a glass pour that shit up and let's get creepy 
right, Taylor, you're first. Part two, what do you got for us? Uh, you already know what it is. It's the Zodiac part two, everybody. The Zodiac Ziller. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to um, our last episode, episode 59. I covered the Zodiac Killer part one, which was basically just me going over the entirety of the Zodiac's like reign <laughs> is the best way to put it. Like yeah. all of the claimed murders and the ciphers and the investigation into it in the late 60s, early 70s. So the last thing that I said to you guys was that Paul Avery, which was the like lead reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, um, received a threat letter from the Zodiac. And then, so they took this like really serious and they ran this like story in the news about it and in the newspaper about it. And then Paul Avery receives a letter from an anonymous writer, and it says that they need to look into the similarities between the Zodiac murders and the 1966 Riverside murder. And what this tip does is break the case wide open for the rest of time. And from now, from like this point on, back in the seven, like I think this was in 1972. Whenever they received, or 1974, I'm sorry. Uh, once he received this letter, like everything about the Zodiac changed because of this case connection. So basically, I'm just going to jump right into the case of the Riverside killing of 19, uh, 1966. Okie So, um, her name was Sherry Jo Bates, and she was born in Omaha, Nebraska on February 4th, 1948, to Joseph and Irene Bates. She was the youngest uh, daughter with an older brother. And when Sherry was around nine or 10 years old, her family relocated to Riverside, California, because her father got a job at the Corona Naval Ordnance Lab- Laboratory, where her brother... Um, ended up joining the Navy, and her parents later divorced, but they all stayed in Riverside to be close to Sherry, other than the brother, because he was, you know, being sent around with the Navy. So upon Sherry's graduation from Ramona High School, she enrolled in Riverside, I'm sorry, yeah, Riverside City College, and she began working at the Riverside National Bank. So she could save up for her dream car, which was a lime green Volkswagen Beetle, And she was able to actually purchase this for herself after saving up all of her money, even while going to school full time. So basically, she's a badass girl boss. And on the morning of October 30th, 1966, Sherry attended mass with her father. They were very devout, like Catholics and her family. And she attends mass with her father. And then the two went to breakfast, which is something that they typically did. And Sherry's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the college library and study and finish up a research paper. And so she left a note for her dad because they, I think he like went to go run some errands and she was supposed to go home and then left the letter. So when the library closed at 9 p.m., Sherry's father began to get worried because his daughter had not come home yet. So he waited up all night for her to come home, but he just like could not drop the feeling that something was wrong because this just wasn't like Sherry. She even left a note to say that she was going to go study. Like she just wouldn't show up back home and go like hang out with friends. But just to be safe, he ends up calling all of Sherry's friends, like anyone that she could possibly be with and nothing. No one knows where Sherry's at. 
So at 5.43 a.m., after staying up all night long, just praying that his daughter would walk through the door, her father calls the Riverside Police Department and reports her missing. Well, not even an hour later, at 6.28 a.m. on Halloween, uh, the groundskeeper for Riverside City College stumbles upon the body of a woman face down and soaked in blood on a gravel path between two houses that were scheduled to be condemned. The woman had been repeatedly stabbed in her chest and left shoulder with several deep wounds on her neck and face. When police arrived on the scene, they took the they took the woman's blood-soaked purse and looked for anything that would tell them who this lady was. And they found an identification card, and it was 18-year-old Sherry Jo Bates. Oh, my gosh. Sherry's Lime Volkswagen Beetle was 75 yards away with the keys in the ignition, both of the windows partially rolled down, three library books in the front seat, and several smeared greasy palm prints across the outside of the car. Immediately, police began questioning what would have made Sherry get out of her car in the first place, A, at night, and B, in a like desolate parking area. And why was she not harmed in the car? Or It, di- it didn't seem that she was, and it didn't seem like she was forced out of it. So what lured her out? So they began looking around, and that's when they noticed that the ignition wiring of the vehicle had been pulled loose. So someone had, like, disabled it. Tampered with it. Mm-hmm. This and the palm prints were the first clues in finding Sherry's killer. So investigators began walking around being like, if someone's this sloppy, like, we're going to find something else. So they're, like, scouring this entire crime scene looking for any extra clues, which is when they find a watch, all right, like a wristwatch. And it had paint and blood splatter all over it. And right beside where it had been torn off, there was a shoe print in the dirt. And guess, and only my Patreons will get this, all right? But guess where this shoe was manufactured? By prisoners at Leavenworth or Leavenworth Prison and only sold at military outlets. Ed Edwards. Um, within 20... Cough, cough. <laughs> Sorry, got something in my throat. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. <laughs> so, <laughs> within 24 hours, okay, let me get back to seriousness, all right? Oh my God, we're so not funny. So, <laughs> within 24 hours of Sherry's murder, um, investigators interviewed 75 individuals, including students at the college, library workers, military personnel stationed nearby, and multiple other witnesses to the timeline the, that she was at the library. So, police are like able to finally retrace her last steps because of what witnesses were saying. And with this, they were saying that they saw a man somewhere in his like early to mid twenties around five eleven, who was acting weird slash suspicious in the library parking lot. And other witnesses said that when Sherry left the library at 9 PM, which is when multiple people said that they saw her leave, um, they watched that weird man that had been walking around her car all night pass her like he was coming from down the road. And he was like, hey, how are you? And she was like, I'm good. How are you? And then kept going, like swapping pleasantries. All right. Like he kept going the opposite way. Yeah. Like they passed each other. So others then came forward saying that they heard a woman scream at 10, uh, 15 p.m. And they just. No one did anything about it. 
stood there. Sit around. All right, whatever. So once Sherry's autopsy report comes back, investigators were able to paint a more clear picture of Sherry's last movements. So now we have the witness statements. We have all the things from the crime scene and we have this autopsy. And guys, it is brutal what I'm about to get into. So just go ahead and prepare yourself. Her autopsy revealed that she had been repeatedly kicked in the head after being stabbed twice in her chest and thrown to the ground. Holy shit. It was obvious that even at being 5'3 and barely over 100 pounds, she fought back so hard against her attacker that she had multiple wounds, like defensive wounds. Um, Her left cheek, hands, arms, and upper lip had been cut and her throat had been slashed three times severing her larynx is that how you say that Mm -hmm. and uh jugular vein nearly decapitating her my god once she had fallen to the ground again she was stabbed again in her left shoulder blade ow and her finger under her fingernails they were able to extract large fragments of skin and brown hair showing just how hard that she fought for her life and giving investigators DNA to keep, you know, to basically investigate this for years to come. Luckily, there was no sign. The one good thing that comes out of this is that there was no sign of any form of sexual assault. So basically, he was just killing for game. So at least she didn't have to suffer more. Um, With all of the witnesses reports of crime scene, now this autopsy, investigators are like, okay, we have enough evidence that we can fully you know, create a murder scenario. Like a profile. Right. Well, not even a profile. Like this, like what we think happened in the time that the last person saw her at 9 p.m. and her body mm-hmm. was found. Okay. So they believe that Sherry's murder disabled her car after spotting her out in the library or when she was walking into the library in the first place. Um, after disabling her car, the murderer sat around and waited for her to leave. And once um, she began struggling with the car, he the person waited for her to try to start the vehicle multiple times and then went to go offer assistance and somehow use the like, I'm going to help you scenario to lure her away from the car and close enough to this hidden area that was again, 75 yards away, which is a good distance. Like if you're thinking about like how long that is on a football field, like it's a good distance um, to lure her that far away to where he began attacking her. So on November 4th, 1966, Sherry Jo Bates was laid to rest at the Crest Lawn Memorial Park in Riverside with like hundreds of people that came to pay their respects for her. Um, But this is not the end of the case because obviously I wouldn't be talking about it um, if it didn't have any connections to the Zodiac. So where is that connection? A month after Sherry's murder, Two identical typewritten letters were sent to the Riverside Police Department and the editor of the Press Enterprise newspaper. The letters went into detail describing how Sherry's car was disabled and how the author sat and watched as she drained her car battery before offering her help and luring her away from the car to murder her. The author author said that he would go get a jack and cables from his car that was parked down the street and asked her to come and help him carry it. So once they passed that little gravel street, that's when he attacked her. And um, the author of the letter claimed to have known Sherry by saying the, um, sorry, I'm giving this, my notes just went whack. Only one thing was on my mind, making her pay for the brush offs that she had given me during the years prior. 
So basically, this is someone that she's turned down. Uh Uh-huh. But due to the fact that the letters included details of the murder, which had not been released to the press or the public yet, investigators believe that the author was the actual murderer. And also in the letter, he went on to, I'm just assuming it's a guy. Sorry. Like, actually, I know it's a guy because it was a Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, the author said, the Zodiac killer, the whoever killed her said, um, whenever they were walking, he said, are you ready? And she said, ready for what? And he said to die and then started attacking her. Holy shit. So I'm, I'm wondering if their first run in that people saw, if she was like, oh, my God, how are you? Yeah, exactly. Like they knew each other. Uh-huh. Like, hey, how are you? What's going on? Because I found it so weird that they like exchanged pleasantries yeah. in a random ass parking lot, you know? Right. So um, whatever. They are like, OK, this has to be the murderer since it knew all this yeah. information that no one has known yet. OK. So six months after her murder, a poem was discovered written under the desk in the library that Sherry had been sitting at that night. What the Mm -hmm. fuck? And this is what it says. It's titled, Sick of Living, Unwilling to Die. It says, cut, clean. I don't know what that says. Something clean. Blood, squirting, dripping, spilling. All over her new dress. Oh, well, it was red anyway. Life draining into an uncertain death. She won't die. This time, someone, it, find her. Just wait till next time. Signed, R.H. Oh, my God. Okay. So the handwriting was later compared to the Zodiacs, and it is so similar it's the same handwriting that we saw all the last holy shit okay so on april 30th 1967 sherry's father received a handwritten letter from the person that claimed to kill her and it says bates had to die there will be more and it was signed with a z oh my god and that is literally like weeks before the first zodiac happened okay i'm sorry months all right like this is crazy the first claim zodiac all right so what do we know about the zodiac killer guys this is where i'm gonna get into like moving on to suspects and everything that i've watched and i didn't give you my sources so pause real fast and let me give you my sources Um, my sources for today's episode are, um, and that's why we drink podcast, true crime obsessed podcast, Wikipedia, Discovery Plus, The Hunt for the Zodiac, which you guys have to watch. It's so good. The San Francisco Chronicle, The San Francisco Examiner, The Vallejo Times, ZodiacKiller.com, The Rolling Stone, Biography.com, Zodiologist, The Sun, ABC, Fox News, CBS, and one other one that I can't remember right now that it'll come to me when I finish these notes. Um, but when I say Wikipedia and Discovery Plus, The Hunt for the Zodiac, I mean Wikipedia and The Hunt for the Zodiac. Like, no shadow of a doubt, this is it. All yeah. right. Cool. So let's go through what we know about the Zodiac so far. Multiple guns and weapons, like, has to have, like, a collection of some sort because the majority of these weapons have been either different guns or different knives. Um, military boot prints that were found at a few different crime scenes that match the ones that were found at Baronessa and the Baronessa murders of the picnic couple. And also at another 
senior skip day beachside murder that I've not mentioned yet. It happened in 1972 um, and it was of two teenagers. There were boot prints at the same, but that one's not as heavily linked with the Zodiac. And then also the Sherry Joe Bates murder. Next, cryptology training for military use. Maybe someone that's like a wannabe military person or someone that is in the military. A 13-month calendar knowledge of the Dala Day, okay? Um, and that basically is the day that every single one of the Zodiac murders took place. It's a certain like type of day. I don't know much about it. I'm not super knowledgeable about this. So if you guys know and you'd love to tell me more, I would be more than happy to post it on our story for everybody else to learn about. But it's they talk a lot about it in the Discovery Plus um, episodes that I've been telling you about. So let's move on to suspects. Now that I've given you Sherry Jo Bates and I've given you like what we know about the traits of the Zodiac. All right. So we're going to start off hot with the number one person that everyone thought for sure without a shadow of a doubt was a Zodiac. And that is author Arthur Lee Allen. This was a giant goose chase that never ended up working out for the police that pursued it at all. Like literally they were putting all their eggs in one basket for years and only going after this one lead when in reality he was just a fucked up twisted school teacher who was a child molester Mm -hmm. and just needed to be in jail but he was not in prison he needed to be dead he literally was not capable of being the zodiac because a he wasn't knowledgeable enough to be able to do it he wasn't skilled enough in like anything and it's not even his mo like he wanted to hurt children and molest children he didn't care about lovers lane people and all that So then we're going to move on to Ross Sullivan, okay? And guys, when I watched the Discovery Plus series on this, I went from being like, if you listen to our Patreon, you know who I have believed for the longest is the Zodiac. Ed and Eddie. Ed and Eddie. Um, But when I started watching that, I was like, you know what? I'm wrong. It's this guy. All right? His name's Ross Sullivan. He was brought into the conversation after connecting Sherry Jo Bates in murder into the Zodiac's, you know, wheel. And basically, here's what we know about him. He worked at the library that she was murdered at. He was very, very smart, but heavily antisocial. He was extremely interested in the military. However, he never joined. He was obsessed with cryptology and so much so that he checked out every book about codes and ciphers at the library and even wrote his senior paper that graduated him from college about like ciphers and symbols and cryptology. Oh, shit. He was originally from Albany, New York, which I'm going to talk about. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and talk about it right now. So where where this connection comes into the Zodiac is um, years later, like you you guys can see the, the developing of this in the actual like Discovery Plus. Um, they go to the FBI and they're like, hey, these investigators that are working on the Zodiac case are like, hey. We're opening this up and we need anything that you can give us to help connect these people to the Zodiac. Like, if are there any letters that no one knows about? And they're like, yeah, it's time that we release these. So on August 1st, 1973, a letter was sent to the Albany Medical Center 
and it said in New York, and it says, you were wrong. I am not dead or in the hospital. I am alive and well, and I'm going to start killing again. Below is the name and location of my next victim, but you had better hurry because I'm going to kill her August 10th at 5 p.m. when the shift change. Albany is under tour maybe it meant to say under attack with the cipher at the bottom signed with the cross mm, thing all right fuck. so police were like never able to be like okay is this really him is this just like a copycat blah 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 situation well then when we bring ross sullivan into it he was from albany new york and that's where his family lived and he moved there in the early 70s right when the zodiac slowed down in california so the hospital got that letter and the police weren't like, okay, well, let's go save this girl. No, they did. They like checked out. Nothing ever ended up happening that I know of. I didn't really go deep into that hole because okay. I was just trying more to connect Ross Sullivan to right. it. Yeah, we're talking suspects. Right. But, you know, there's probably more to go with that. And maybe one day if they released more about Ross Sullivan's life, I would be able to do an entire like almost like an Ed Edwards thing on him. Mm-hmm. But as of right now, there's really not any crimes that he can be directly connected to other than that piss you off that pisses me off so bad because all i want to do is talk about how dirty this guy is and he could just have been like a weirdo yeah and we just you know we're just sitting here talking shit about him on a podcast however many years later (laughs) um but what we do know about him is he was later in his life diagnosed with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder which Mm. would have been the impulse thinking and the anger okay Next, we have Lawrence Kane, all right? So he was brought into the conversation after the murder of Donna Lass, and that is the murder that happened in the, like, Nevada uh, hotel, and it was, like, the Sierra, the postcard that said, like, through the pines and all that stuff. You remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. In the snow. Yeah, 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 that one. So he worked at that same resort or whatever it was, with her and he was known to be super weird and stocky with Donna Lass. All right. He was later diagnosed with, I'm sorry, before this even happened in 1962, he was diagnosed with um, impulse control disorder after suffering major brain trauma from an accident. He had major connections with the military and a testing range on Mount Diablo, which is where that map was drawn for, where he said he planted a bomb and it led them to the bodies of the victims, including Donna Lass's body is thought to be there. Her mother, his, I'm sorry, his mother lived in the Bay Area and he was like obsessed with his mom, which the Bay Area is where all the original Zodiac killings happened. He would leave for days at a time to go visit his mother and would leave, which makes sense why no one would recognize the Zodiac walking around the Bay Area ever. He just like showed up when it was time to kill. Mm -hmm. So it would be an area that he knew very well because he grew up there, but he left it. Um, He would... So he used to work for the military, like I said, but it was specifically with this intelligence group that used, developed a new language with codes for naval use only. And multiple of the, many of the symbols that are seen in the ciphers were one that was only used in 1971 by the one company that he worked for. He was, which is also where they have the same military issued boots that would have been at three of the Mm -hmm. different crime scenes. He was picked out of a photo lineup by Kathleen Johns, a woman who was 
her car was disabled by the man behind her, which yeah. connects us to Sherry Joe Bates. And she had to take off running with her baby in her hand mm-hmm. through the woods. She picked him out of a photo lineup and said, no, that's the man that was in the car with me. And if you looked at a picture of this guy beside, well, Ross Sullivan and Lawrence Kane, if you looked at them by the lineup and Edward Edwards, holy shit, you you would literally be like, oh my God. But the difference is, is that he wore the exact glasses. Both Ross Sullivan and Lawrence Kane wore the exact glasses that are pictured in all of the Zodiac. Oh my God. And then the three teenagers that witnessed Paul Stein being shot in his taxi were like, holy shit, no, this is the guy that we watched shoot that man in his taxi. Talking about this guy. All right? Shit. Next we have Ed Edwards. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Um, Edward Wayne Edwards. There is evidence to show that he lived in the Bay Area at the time. And, and by the way, guys, I've made like a few different comments about it but i did an entire like deep dive on this dude and like how crazy his case is in our patreon i think it's episode four mm-hmm. um so if you guys want to learn more about that you can hop on there to our patreon it's going to be linked in our show notes um there's enough evidence to show that he lived in the bay area and the other areas where all these crimes happened at the exact same times that all these crimes happened like i'm talking riverside i'm talking Bay Area, I'm talking Albany, New York, I'm talking Nevada, like I'm talking everywhere. And he was a crazy life. Yeah. He was obsessed with the Zodiac on the news, forced his children to watch it with him. And he would be screaming, that is not right. That's not how I killed them at the TV. Um, His M.O. was lover's lanes within his own like M.O. All right. He had escaped from Deer Lodge Jail in Montana around the same time of the Barry Nessa murders, which is where they were told that he there, he was an escape prisoner from Deer Lodge. And that is the same place that the boot print was. And he was in Leavenworth literally a year yeah. before this and was sent out. OK. And uh, in the early 60s, I'm sorry. All right, so next and last, and what you all came for, we have Gary Francis Post, which is who everybody, as of October 2021, says is a Zodiac killer. Mm-hmm. I'm and curious to hear all this. I'm here to tell you that there is no evidence uh-uh. <laughs> that is anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. Like, I shit you not. What the fuck? So let me tell you guys, uh, I'm, I'm literally, I copied and pasted this from Wikipedia because I can't. I can't tell you this better. So this is what you'll find if you look on Wikipedia. In October of 2021, the Case Breakers, a team of over 40 cold case investigators composed of former law enforcement investigators, military intelligence officers, and journalists claimed that they have identified the Zodiac Killer as Gary Francis Post, who died in 2018. The team claimed that they uncovered forensic evidence that and photos from Post's dark room that noted, and also noted that Post's forehead matches all of the scars on the killer's head, the Zodiac Killer's head. They also claimed that removing the letters of Post's name, which I don't know if it's the word Gary or like his entire name, if you remove that from the Zodiac's cryptograms, it reveals all alternative messages. The FBI subsequently says that the case is open and that there is no new information to report. So basically the FBI is like, no. I don't think so. This is, you can't go out and say this basically because they haven't even tested DNA, all right? 
well, local law enforcement are like, you know what? I don't think that this is right. I think this might be a little wrong. And they even did a whole write up in the San Francisco Chronicle about it. But Riverside police officer um, Ryan Railsback said that the case breakers claim large claims are largely reliant on sub uh circumstantial evidence all right so basically they're like well if he was there at this point like that's basically where this goes here's my favorite thing okay so this guy named tom voin voit i'm gonna call him tom v um he's a zodiac killer investigator all right and he says their claims are bullshit that is literally what he says and he says that there are no witnesses in any of these cases that said that the zodiac actually had scars on his forehead those are just ways of showing age by creases so there's no point in saying that he had the scars um but i do want to make this like little comment really quickly about how weird it would be if um gary francis post was the zodiac killer so here is a little bit of a true crime conspiracy all right okay So the situation is, is that in whenever they found who the Golden State Killer was, all right, they discovered this in March, I believe, of 2018 using like, like literally ancestry, genealogy, like all the things, all right. Mm -hmm. And when they discovered this, um, it was insane because like you never would have thought in a million years that they were going to be able to extract this DNA and literally find out who this was. 80 years later, 70 years, 60 years later, right? Well, it is thought that the Golden State Killer, the Zodiac Killer, the Black Dahlia, the um, Night Stalker, East Area Rapist, like all of these serial killers and serial attackers at this time that were in the 60s, 70s, and even late 50s, um, we're all in a cult group, yeah. kind of like the Manson family, because mm-hmm. the Manson families also claim to be the Zodiacs, all right? And they believe that they were all part of something like the Manson family or the Manson family itself, and that they protected each other over the years and that they rotated who killed as different serial killers in all of these areas. That's insane. And what's crazy is that Gary Francis Post died literally at the exact same time that they released who the Golden State Killer was. Like literally within like months, like a month of it, I think, was what I saw on this thing. And they were like, no, they found out who this group was. Or they're finally comfortable to talk about it because it was embedded in law enforcement and higher up like intelligence agencies and military groups. Yeah, well, when you were going through the suspect list, I was like, they all have to be working together. Exactly. But then I'm like, well, all the handwriting's the same, but they could easily talk to each other through code and then have Mm -hmm. one person designated to write these letters. Exactly. And be on the phones and. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't so that crazy? it's just a giant serial killer call and they just role play who yeah. wants to be who. Exactly. And it's so crazy. The timing of when they found out who the Golden State Killer was and the death of this guy that is thought to be the Zodiac Killer blows my mind. Like, that's just a little weird. And But I do find it so weird. Okay, so let's move on from that and talk about the Riverside City Police. So the Riverside City Police that have the jurisdiction over Sherry Joe Bates' case, they refuse to test the DNA underneath her nails for any of the possible Zodiac 
went, um, suspects. Why? Because they don't want it to they be a don't, case? Yeah, they don't want it to be. They want it to be an independent case. They do not believe in any way, shape, or form that she was a Zodiac victim. And they're like, who else was sending in letters that were cryptic? And right, like, and the murder of her could liter- quite literally like be... Like she knew him. Yeah, she knew him. She knew and the then Zodiac he, killer. And if it was Ross Sullivan or Lo- Lo- whatever, Lauren Kane, what's his name? Lawrence Kane. Like, why wouldn't we dig into that a little bit more if they if you have the dna like right. if you have it and we don't why can't we use it and they they won't talk to anybody on the discovery plus they are literally uh, won't let anybody in there to talk to them about sherry joe bates they'll be like leave if you bring it up that's crazy if yeah. i was her father i'd be like test it yeah exactly but she i think he's like long dead at oh. this point i mean she she was born in 48 oh, right, yeah, you know like the, yeah they're, they're old yeah, but, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, I love but, that theory. I mean, if Hate we learned it, anything, that's terrifying, if we but. learned anything from the Jody Lacornu case that I covered on Patreon episode three, mm-hmm. we learned that even if you're the family member and your police department doesn't want your you to test anything, you don't have access to it. Right. They like even yeah, if it's your matter. dead family member, they don't give a shit about it. Yeah, unless you publicly literally harass them, and they still and won't they still do it. Don't. She's got billboards all over Baltimore. You know, That's crazy. so crazy. So anyways, guys, that is my two parter on the Zodiac. I loved it. I loved this last part a lot. You know, it was yeah, a lot of research, but it, you've got to watch. The, and guys, um, if you I just wanted to give you guys this little tip. Um, I was like really intimidated by Discovery Plus because I was like, I'm not paying that much money when I literally already pay for like Hulu, Netflix, all the things. And I was I was like, when I started researching the Zodiac, I was like, I have got to watch this documentary on Discovery Plus, like right now. And so I'm like working so hard to figure out how I can get it for free, blah, blah, blah. If you have Verizon, and I don't know if it's for anything, if if it's for all carriers, but if you have Verizon, y'all, you can literally get a year free of Discovery Plus. So go get that right now and watch The Hunt for a Zodiac Killer because it is (laughs) so, it's such a good show. I've been binging it for like the last two weeks. Oh my gosh, that's insane! <laughs> I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is. Either. I need to watch a documentary. I need to come up with my own consensus. The moment you watch it, in the beginning, you're like, "It's Ross Sullivan," and then you're like, "Oh my god, it's Ed Edwards," and then you're like, "No, it is. It is without a doubt Lawrence Kane." And then you're like, "Oh my god, I don't know who the hell it yeah, is." Me? Is it me? Is it? Am I the Zodiac killer? <laughs> I don't know, but I find it so funny am that am I the drama? <laughs> that's Gary Francis pose because he's like, "I'm literally dead." No, I'm literally done. Am I the drama? Yeah, but if I find any more information about him, I might do like a mini episode on it to like, you know, dig into it more for you guys. But I searched all over and it was basically saying the same thing that it was all just based off of like circumstantial evidence. But add time. Add time. Looking to start your spiritual journey or connect with a loved one that has passed? Psychic medium Susan Edwards with Angel Wings and Healing Things has the ability to kickstart your spiritual awakening. Susan has 30 years of experience and is a certified angelic medium with a passion for speaking to deceased loved ones while leading you on your spiritual journey. Being a holy fire Karuna Reiki master and working with sound therapy, Susan has the ability to teach you all of the skills you need to protect, release, and grow your energy. I personally have been seeing Susan's since December of 2019. Throughout our time working together, she has brought me peace with my loved ones, helped me connect to my guides, and cleansed myself and my home many of times. Want to connect with your past life? Susan is a certified consulting hypnotist that has the ability to do just that. 
Susan is located in Knoxville, Tennessee and offers in-person or over-the-phone readings. Because of the amazing lessons, readings, and healings that we have gotten, Taylor and I have decided to partner with Susan to bring you the same level of peace that she has delivered to us. To receive 10% off of your first reading with Susan, message Angel Wings and Healing Things on Facebook or text 704-562-3476 to set up your appointment telling her that we sent you. You might need it after listening to us. That is 10% off your first reading. Message Angel Wings and Healing Things on Facebook or text 704-562-3476 and tell her we sent you. (coughs) East Tennessee people, listen up. Do you have an engagement, graduation, or wedding coming up? Or do you just want to spice up your social media? Look no further, because we have the photographer for you. Best Picks is a Knoxville-based photographer that is down to travel, hype you up, and show off your smile. Lexi is the photographer that brought us our season two photos and new logo. So we know she's amazing. Feel good about the money you spend on a photographer by choosing Best Picks. She is a voice for those who are not heard and works hard to give her clients the best sessions possible. With her confidence boosting morale and kind heart, you won't just get a session, but a friend for life. You can find Lexi on Instagram and Facebook at Best Picks or her website, bestpicks.com. To book your session today, email alexandra.best.king at gmail.com. You won't regret it. L-I-T-B, sister! Did you miss our lash ads? Well, guess what? We are back with even more. Afterlife Lash Extensions is a Knoxville-based lash studio that offers everything from classics to super volume. Not in Knoxville? Or would you rather have falsies? Afterlife Lashes has it all with their own strip lashes for sale on Instagram at Afterlife Lashes. All of their products are foam mink, silk material that is vegan, cruelty-free, and is sent to you in a reusable coffin packaging that is so cute and so on brand. With three years experience and a three-time certified lash artist, Afterlife Lashes is here to give you the best experience possible. Take a nap on their ultra soft lash beds with great music and even better vibes. Use our code Creeps and Crimes to get 40% off your entire order of falsies on AfterlifeLashes.com. To book an extension appointment, DM Afterlife Extensions on Instagram and mention Creeps and Crimes podcast to receive 40% off any service offered. Happy lashing! Okay, Morgan, what do you have for us today? Today, I am going to be breaking down the infamous mystery of the Oak Islands. (gasps) Disclaimer here. I'm so excited. You guys, um, we started notes today and... (laughs) You're not supposed to tell them that. (laughs) And just know that this show has like nine seasons. So I didn't cover everything, but I'm going to get the gist of it here, okay? Well, we might do another mini-sode for Oak Island. Yeah, for Oak Island. So if you're anything like our fathers or, from my knowledge today, um, Taylor's mother, (laughs) then you're obsessed with The Curse of Oak Island, the show that... It has with it. But if you haven't, as always, I am here for you and we are going to break this shit down. So my sources are wikipedia.org, oakislandmystery.com, which is a phenomenal website, kplosson.com, fourgirlsandaghost.com, history.com, tovovermind.com, and medium.com, and the Theories of the Third Kind podcast. So Oak Island is located off of Nova Scotia. 
And somewhere on Oak Island, there is a supposed buried treasure, which is said to contain one of the most prolific treasures in history. But unfortunately, this treasure is sealed with a curse. According to the legend, in order to access this treasure, seven people must die. To this day, there have been six people who've lost their lives attempting to descend into what is known as the money pit. The money pit is a like wall shaft, like just a pit, basically. And it's given its name due to the idea that, you know, it's a treasure pit. Unfortunately, each time people think they are close to reaching the treasure, all hell breaks loose, which is why I only probably watch like season one or two of the show, because every time they're like, we got something good. And they're like, oh, fuck. And you're like, come on. And they're like, it's another Big rush of water. Yeah, up here through comes these more things. water. I'm like, geez, uh, Marty and Rick. <laughs> so now where the story begins is not necessarily known at the like origin, but we're going to break down the theories more towards the end of my segment as to where it really started. What we do know is that the paper trail starts in 1795. And the earliest story of the Oak Island treasure was printed in a paper in 1857. So that is a very long time ago. Very old. The story is what we deem as the original or the origins that we know of of the Oak Island mystery. And the story involves a dying sailor who was part of the crew belonging to an infamous pirate known as Captain Kidd. This goes back to 1701. The dying sailor stated that there was a treasure worth 2 million euros and was buried somewhere on Oak Island. So imagine 2 million euros in... 1700s i would literally be like that's a billion or so dollars it has to be hop on the boat we're going a hell of a lot of money so he left like clues like pirates do saying you know you'll find a depression in the ground that will lead you to one of the world's most prized treasures but throughout the theories the treasure consisted of miscellaneous pirate gold the holy grail which is said to bring eternal youth if you drink out of it, that's kind of cool. Do you think that we could borrow that just for one app, maybe? Instead of Botox? Let's just yeah. <laughs> I mean, might have spent a ton of money on Botox today, but do you mind? Um, Shakespearean manuscripts, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the stone slabs with the Ten Commandments written yes. on them. Now, in 1799, a man named Danny McGinnis, I might be mispronouncing that, but he was searching the island for a prosperous location to build his farm. So this story, there's two different versions of this story. One says he was on the mainland and he saw this light shining over into this area of Oak Island. And when he went to explore the island, he saw something hanging from the tree. And below this tree, there's a depression in the ground. And he knew because he was a local, the stories of the hidden pirate treasure. And so he thought him and his teenage friends would dig it up. But this story seemed most logical because there's no way that teenagers could, one, afford the money to do what they ended up doing. Right. So when he went to visit this island for a location of his new farm, um, he came across a depression in the ground. Daniel McGinnis was aware of the legend of the treasure on the island. And honestly, a lot of people in Nova Scotia were, too, because of the stories passed down through word of mouth. Like it was probably like the hot bed, like hot spot bedtime story. It's the hot goss. Like, you know, like what what would be our bedtime story? (sighs) My dad used to tell me terrifying stories and then would okay. come in my room in the dark in a scream mask. Like, I have okay. no fun bedtime like, stories. Like, my, my mom would always, like, make stuff up about, like, princesses and stuff. No, my dad was out Your here to... scream mask. That's why I'm sitting here but today. This these, is childhood trauma. I'm thinking these kids, like, their parents would be like, 
over on the Oak Island, there's a treasure buried and, you know, like just like yeah, a real like, like fun stuff. And my dad used to tell me fun, like funny stories before bed and I would just get all riled up. So I stopped doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, hold on, before we move on, I, I was cracking up thinking about the um, guy being like, I saw the light and I traveled over there or whatever. Yeah. Because that sounds like us trying to draw out something on the podcast. Like, and then right. and I then. saw this. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. And he was just trying to get a good like story. Him and his two teenage friends. Like, had started $15 billion. Yeah. Anyway, when he realized that this depression matched with the Captain Kidd story that he had heard his entire life, he was like, holy shit, is this real? Like, let's, I want to dig. I want to see if it's real. I would do it too. So he assembled a digging crew consisting of two other men, John Smith and Anthony Vaughn, and they began excavating the depression when they were stopped about two feet into the dig because they came across a layer of flagstone. So flagstone is a flat stone. Um, It's usually cut into squares and it's common in like, it's a paving slab. It's common for sidewalks, patios today. So that's what they had originally came across. So you can imagine in the late 1700s that this shit was not easy to dig up because they're basically doing it by hand. I mean, not like scraping at the ground, but like with shovels. Right. So that's tough. They didn't have any big equipment or any, what do we call them? Excavators, literally. Um, so it delayed their dig, but it only wanted them to dig even more because they're like, well, why Why is that there? And then they found 10 feet below an oak platform and they kept going. 20 feet, another oak platform. 30 feet, another oak platform. Every 10 feet, it was a marking of an oak platform. And some stories mention that these weren't oak platforms, but instead markings like tool marks Every 10 feet in the walls of this pit. Got it, yeah. So it's like, I don't know, two different things going on there. But these types of inconsistencies in this story are common because it was so long ago, like this is the 1700s, and shit like this was documented today. Like, it would be a series on TikTok. Like, it would be like a hot topic, and or maybe we would on, know everything. maybe on the his, History Channel called The Curse of Elk Island. I don't well, know. right, but not, at this, not during the 1700s. Yeah, like exactly. it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at 30 feet down, Daniel McGinnis, John Smith, and Anthony Vaughn abandoned the excavation due to superstitious dread. But the idea captivated John Smith, one of Daniel's friends. So he decided to purchase the land, and he was now the owner of a gaping hole on Oak Island. So that's why I'm saying, like, you can't be teenagers. You can't. Yeah, no. But I don't know how much land was. Right. Yeah, you're right. You know, like, what? Like, okay, give me a cow and I'll give you this land, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's true. A couple years later, in 1802, a group known as Onslow Company sailed to Oak Island to continue the excavation once word got out that a pit was already started. And they were able to dig about 90 feet down. The markings or the logs every 10 feet still occurred. And then they discovered layers of charcoal, putty, coconut fiber, and a large stone with symbols inscribed into it. Once the stone was transcribed, the stone said... 40 feet below are 2 million pounds buried. Bruh. I've like, been like, get digging, bitches. I'm like, get let's down there roll. right now. So yeah, this group was like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, let's get it, boys. But again, excavation was put to a halt when the pit flooded over 60 feet of what they had just dug up for unknown reasons at the time. The Onslow Company attempted to build a second shaft next to the original pit and then would have a tunnel dug up connecting the first to the second kind of like trying to intercross the treasure. Right. But once again, it flooded both pits. Shortly after, the Onslow Company decided to abandon the excavation. In 1845, Anthony Vaughn, who was one of the original diggers, 
with his friend Daniel McGinnins, helped form a new company called the Truro... Truro. The Truro. The Cheerio Company, and they began re-excavating. The pit was dug back down to 86 feet, but yet again, more flooding. And the water... I read was coming in at like 400 gallons a minute. Like it is rushing water. And it was decided to attempt to drill. Sorry, it was decided that this company would attempt to drill five boreholes in the shaft to help drain the water by using a metal device called a pod agor, agar, agua, agua. With these, they were able to dig 98 feet. So they increased by 12 feet. But then they started to hit layers of oak and some type of metal pieces. So at this point, they're like, Oh, we got to be close. Right. So let's keep digging. They then hit another spruce layer and about seven feet of clay. And clay, you guys, is thick and it's tough to dig up. It is not like soil. It is not like the dirt. Like it is very tough. So the Truro company decided to dig another pit north of the original hole and then dig a tunnel across to intersect the treasure once again. But yet again, it flooded. At this point, the diggers were like, well, wait a second. The water is rising and flooding with the tide. So this flooding has to be connected to the ocean. Right. Which I don't know. Why didn't they think like the first time, like we're on an island. Like why? Like That's where like do you digging think, in Florida. Where do you think the water is coming from? I'm just really confused. Like what was going on in the 1800s? But it was a different time. So they didn't have so- sonographers or whatever it's called. Right. So they decided to excavate a nearby cove known as Smith's Cove. And this is when they find an entire flood tunnel system underneath of the island, handmade, literally making one giant booby trap to get to the treasure. They attempted to shut down the flood system, but had failed. So they headed back to the original pit and built yet a third pit. This they're just like digging more holes, holes all over the There's ground. There's so many holes. If you look at the the map, the aerial oh view. Oh my god. Sometime during this dig, the bottom of the original money pit had collapsed, leaving speculation that the treasure had fallen through the new shaft into a deep void. So now they have no idea where the treasure is. Causing all three pits to be flooded, in comes rushing water. Let me reverse that. In comes rushing water, causing all three pits now to be flooded. So in 1851, the Truro Cheerio Company ran out of funds and ended the excavation process. Ten years later, a new company called the Oak Island Association re-excavated the original pit to 88 feet and dug even more pits, two of them. Both extra shafts were filled with water after accidentally hitting one of the flood tunnels. The company began placing platforms in the original shaft, but at some point, these plat- so like these were platforms to stand on, and at some point, the platforms collapsed and dropped down, causing the next two platforms, leaving people to believe the treasure has fallen yet again further down. Like, it's just, like, collapsing the whole tunnel. It's in the center of the core of the earth. Yeah, it's in the hollow earth. Yeah. Theory. (laughs) This same year, 1861, um, this crew had brought a pump engine to help pump out the water, and the pump engine boiler burst, killing one of the workers, which is, a.k.a. the first accidental death. So There's so many. One down, six to go, which is so, like, insensitive, but that's what these treasure hunters are thinking of. As the previous companies, the same happened to the Oak Island Association. They dug, and it flooded. They dug, and it flooded, and eventually they ran out of money, so they ditched the project. In 1866, the Halifax Company was formed to search for the treasure. 
They originally planned to shut off the flood tunnels from Smith's Smith's Cove and focus on the original pit. They dug up the same thing as everyone else, bits of wood, blue mud, clay, and after only a year, the group gave up the dug. They weren't there for long. In 1896, an unknown group showed up to the island with steam pumps and equipment. The pumps weren't able to keep the pits from flooding, which is absolutely insane, but it's like rushing water from the ocean. So what do you expect? The literal ocean. Um, But they were more like researchers rather than treasure hunters. So they were beginning to take like boring samples. On March 26, 1897, a member of this unknown crew named Maynard Maynard Kayser fell into this pit into his death. Oh, my God. Which is the second second death. A year later, they poured red paint into the pit, and this revealed three new exit holes all around the island. So cool. It is dope. That's so dope. Like, you just have to think, though, like, whatever is down there, who created this? Uh, Aliens. Aliens. I was about to be like, the people that built the fucking Egyptian... The pyramids. pyramids. Like, yeah. that's who. Like, that's just insane. Because how do you even know to do this? And if it's in the 17, 16, 15, the yeah. times that I can't even believe well, the treasures times. that are said to be there, like, date all the way back to, like, 80. Exactly. Like, how would they even know to be like, you know what? This is what we're going to do. We have no mechanical anything right. at this point. So just dig. And you know how many people had to die? Like as soon as you pop a hole into the ocean, it's going to come flooding s- in it Or suck you out like immediately if you're like digging through the ocean. They didn't even have oxygen tanks yeah. to like stay under to make those holes. Like how do they do that? Yeah. Um, this unknown company though eventually dealt with the same. Dig and flood. Dig and flood. Ended up with no money. So yet again, they retired. In August of 1909, a company called the Old Gold Salvage Group, led by Captain Henry Bowden, arrived on Oak Island. And a little fun fact, Franklin D. Roosevelt was a member of this group, Uh, our president. That's cool. Um, He grew up hearing stories from his grandfather saying that Marie Antoinette's gold are buried in Oak Island. National treasure? National treasure? Is this Nicholas a real life Cage? national treasure? Is Franklin D. Roosevelt, is Nicholas Cage based on is FDR? Ben Gates there? Um, Thomas Gates? Maybe. At this point, the money pit was about 113 feet deep in the old gold salvage group and sent divers down into it. Finally, some smart people going on here. Right. After finding literally nothing, the group left three months later in November of 1909. In 1928, because of a feature story in the New York newspaper about Oak Island, a man named William Chappelle became very intrigued. But Oak Island sat sat abandoned for over 20 years. No one was really effing with it at the time. Oh, my God. William Chappelle worked with a man named Gilbert Heaton, who was an operator of a steel fabricating company to excavate the money pit. They found a number of artifacts, including an axe, a fluke anchor, and a miner's pick, but nothing of significance. And there were so many different treasure hunters, it was hard to determine if any of it was actually significant or was if it was just left behind like remnants of previous digs. So William and Gilbert's adventures came to a halt in 1936 after having no luck and, of course, flooding. In 1959, a man named Robert Restall, his 18-year-old son, and Robert's partner, Carl Greaser, came to Oak Island for its Legends of the Treasure. During this dig, they focused a lot on Smith's Cove, and they dug a shaft there down 27 feet in an attempt to seal what was thought to be the flood tunnels or a storm drain. August 17th of 1959, Robert Restall, while in the shaft, was overcome by hydrogen sulfide fumes and lost consciousness. His 18-year-old son attempted to save his dad, 
um, entered himself down the shaft and then also lost consciousness. Carl Greaser and two other workers, Cyril Hiltz and Andy Damon, attempted to save the father and son. But the only person to come out of the shaft alive was Andy Demont. That day, Robert Rustall, his son, Carl Greaser, and Cyril Hiltz all died looking for the treasure on Oak Island. Oh my God. Making victims number three, four, five, and six to the seven person curse. Oh. 40 years later, in April of 2006, the Lagina brothers, Rick and Marty from Michigan, bought 50% of Oak Island tours. Rick and Marty and their adventures on Oak Island are featured on a reality show called Curse of Oak Island on the History Channel, which I'm sure everyone knows all about. It's the best show in the Um, world. The show captures the attempts of the Lagina brothers, Rick and Marty, as they risk the curse to pursue their lifelong dreams of being the ones who finally get the answer of the mystery of Oak Island, as well as the ones to find the treasure. And I'll add here that they discovered the secret to the flooding, according to a translation of a cipher on a stone found on the island, was, say it, Taylor. Say what? Corn. Oh, corn. That's what they decided. (laughs) That's what they found out on this cipher, that corn was the answer to the flooding. Because it expands. Because it expands. Yeah, guys. But the issue is, back then, corn wasn't on was oak a native on oak island and guys this is the best part of the entire show the narrator he literally is constantly like corn on, on oak, oak island. island he's the most dramatic like narrator in the world so he'll be like what is it uh coconut coconut, coconut fibers on oak island <laughs> yeah i'll talk a little bit more about the corn? coconut but basically the lagina brothers i'm not gonna get too far into them um because again, it's nine seasons. Can't watch nine seasons in a day. But um, yeah, that's one of the main takeaways: is that the secret to the flooding of the tunnels is to shove corn in them, to pour yeah. corn down there. Popcorn, popcorn. So the show is still current, as the ninth season had just aired on November second, twenty twenty one. So I kind of want to talk about the findings um, before I go into the theories, and this all came from History dot com. Yes. Um, first was a 1797 cartwheel penny with a depiction of King George III. Um, there was a gemstone brooch. How do you say that? Brooch. Brooch. Okay. Yeah. It's not brioche. (laughs) Brochet. Brochet. A gemstone brooch that dates back as early as the 16th century. Oh my God. A keyhole plate that looked like it belonged to something of a chest, like the front of a, like, (gasps) sea chest, like a pirate's chest. Oh my God. I hate to tell you guys, but those, um... Those, uh, uh, what's the man's name? Rick and Marty. No, <laughs> Rick and Marty. <laughs> Rick and Rick, Marty. Rick, Rick, Rick. Rick. No, Shakespeare. Like if if that's where the chest where his stuff was in, it's done. Yeah, they flooded that shit a long time ago. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm going to talk about that in one of the theories. Right. Um, two 17th century Brit- Britannia coins that were made in the 1600s. A French military cap badge that is theorized to be a French grenadier's hat from the 1700s a decorative lead piece um the di- design on it suggests ancient metalwork technique called chloe sony um it has the identical lead isotope of the lead cross which means it comes from the pre-15th century what a gold-plated brooch that dates back to the 14th century huh? who, which is believed to be marie Antoinette's. <gasps> a roman pillum which is a shaft made of iron mixed with manganese and dates back to the ancient roman empire century 500 a.d what the hell spanish galleon spike which is a wrought iron spike dating back to the 1600s um 
And then parchment. And this supports the theory that William Shakespeare's original manuscripts are buried there. While none have been found, um, parchment along with a leather book has been, like a leather binding, not a book. So Um, that those. And they uh, all date back to his time period. Yeah, so, but they're ruined by now. It's pretty safe to say. Yeah, they are, but they're supposed to be preserved by this, which I'll talk about this guy. Okay, later. go ahead, because I'm really interested. <laughs> um, yeah, human bones that date back to the 17th century. Further DNA testing showed it came from two individuals, one of European descent and the other Middle Eastern descent. And coconut fiber that dates back to 1260 to the 1400s. Coconut? Interesting, because <laughs> the closest coconut tree to Oak Island is 1,500 miles away. <laughs> But it supports the theory that Mayans and Incas dropped their loot on the island. Um, they believe that the coconut fiber was used as the ropes to lower the treasure into Got the pit. It. That makes sense. Yeah. And one of the biggest finds, a lead cross. Testing showed that the material in the lead on the cross is from southern France and dates back to the 1300s, which is an artifact that supports the idea that the Knights Templar were on the island. Um, so now I'm going to kind of go through the theories, which is the first one, which is kind of my favorite, but also like it's debunked. Well, I debunked it, um, is pirates. Captain William Kidd, a Scottish pirate who spent several years pirating the East Indies in the Indian and China seas. The theory goes that before his arrest in Boston, he pit stopped at the island to bury his treasure when he veered north before coming to America. And the same theory for the infamous Blackbeard, who is said to have buried his treasure, quote, where none but Satan and myself can find it. And what better analogy is that besides the Oak Island money pit? The literal center of the earth. Um, I I debunked it because I just feel like this doesn't fit the lifestyle of the pirates. Like, they are known to spend, not save. And I feel like you might consider them to be, like, unqualified because of how organized and precise the treasure is said to be. Like, it's literally booby-trapped. There's... It's just very, very intricate. Right. Like what they did there. Um, number two is Sir Francis um, Bacon. Bacon. Is that it? Bacon? It's spelled bacon. It's bacon. I okay. just, I thought you were like trying to pronounce it. And I was like, no, it's, it's bacon. Okay. Sir Francis Bacon was known for his ciphers and his codes. And Baconians, AKA those devoted to him, wholeheartedly believe that he actually is the author of Shakespeare's work. On top of that, he is known for preserving his documents in some in mercury, which lines up with the traces of mercuries in the metals that were discovered during the early searches on Oak Island. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. And on top of that, Sir Francis's underhand, um, a man named Mr. Thomas Bushel, was notori- notorious for his flooded mines during some type of war. Oh. Where he literally, when I think it was like when France or wherever they were from, when they were being attacked seized like the country mm-hmm. itself or whatever was being seized he hid in these flooded mines for months and lived and then came out and was like i'm here how'd you bitches so, like looking and he for me? created them oh my god so yeah that makes the most sense and Fran- sir francis bacon was also an initiate of the order of knights templar okay there we go um, so brings me to number three knights templar and this theory coincides with sir francis bacon I hate that his name is Bacon. Like, it's just like kind of freaking me out. Anyway, (laughs) the Templars were one of the wealthiest and most powerful organizations in Europe during uh, 1129 to 1312. Years I can't even comprehend. I can't even say them. 
During their reign, King Philip IV of France was deeply indebted to the order, and he ordered the arrest of all of the key Templar leaders. Shortly after, the Pope followed and issued all Templars to be arrested and their assets seized. But legend has it that many Templars fled to Scotland to take refuge, and with them they brought the priceless religious treasures, including the Holy Grail. And I can't even begin to debunk them because of how structured Oak Island is. Like, it's almost military-like. Right. Like, it's And like if they had bacon on his side, then... They're set. That's, right. that's it. Also, um, the Freemasons are basically like an extension of the Knights Templar exactly. today. Like, the Freemasons and the Knights Templar are like kind of like one, one and the same. Yes. Almost. Like, they are the Knights Templar. Right. And they, the Freemasons are also believed to have buried shit there, too, because they found, like, a sketching in one of the woods, and it was their sign. Yeah. Which is Wasn't like, it on um, two of the rocks that make up? That's what it was, the stone. Yeah. 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 Um, number four is Marie Antoinette's crown jewels of France, which were the stolen jewels of France. Um, this theory comes from the notion that Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette fled Paris with the missing crown jewels, as well as their own personal gems. Um, and they were the ones that buried it, but I've debunked this because there's so much more there. And the Paris flea was in 1791 and the first discovery of the money pit was in 1795, but there was years and years and years of legends and stories being told that led up to that, which would give them only four years to bury their jewels. And I just debunked it, but Marie Antoinette, I don't really like her anyway, so. Um, <laughs> this is a personal vendetta yeah. against her. Number five is the Incas, the Mayas, and the Aztecs. Um, this theory is that Oak Island became kind of like a depository for the Spanish conquerors of the New World, and the treasure that belongs to the Incas, the Mayas, and the Aztecs are buried there. Um, this theory is backed up by the numerous coconut fibers found in the pit, as right. well as the beaches. Um, some also believe that it was the Inca Empire themselves who created the money pit and made the deposit. Mm. But I kind of think that it's just a very far way for them to travel. Like, you have to think, like, this is way, way back when. And they're going to take their most prized possessions and go across seas. They don't have a weather app. They right. don't have a radar. Go through storms and then go to an unfamiliar land, dig a hole and bury it. Right. But the the booby traps and all that stuff that's that very very much techian yeah their mo yeah. you know like even even in like I mean the mo- Scooby Doo okay let's go back to Scooby Doo what the one time you're watching them in like temples and shit always booby oh trap. my god the booby traps mummies everywhere yeah a coconut fiber ropes everywhere like yeah. They're not playing um, around. Number six, which is one that Taylor brought up to me, and that is Samuel Ball. Samuel was an escaped enslaved person from North Carolina plantation in the 18th century. He escaped when he was 11 years old and fought on the side of the British during the Revolutionary War. When the Americans won, he was he relocated himself to Nova Scotia. But at some point in his life, he it is believed that he had spent time on a privateer or a pirate ship. And by the time of his death, he was one of the largest landholders in Nova Scotia, specifically Oak Island. Many believe that he had heard of the treasure during his time on his ship. He came back. He found the treasure. 
And given the growth of his fortune that happened so quickly, it is strongly believed that he had discovered the treasure first and sold it and used it to build a future for himself and his family. Exactly. And while he owned Oak Island, um, he was always just so generous to sell the land off to the treasure hunters. Always. Absolutely. You can go ahead and dig on my property for Mm -hmm. sure. Pay me the money. And is it just because he knew there was nothing there? Like he already got it. I don't know. The only thing is the the debunking part is just like you said earlier, like it was after it had been spoken about for years and years and years and years. Right. Which makes it harder. But at the same time, like. Right. But he probably heard that legend and he went there and he found it. And that's why he's so rich. Like, where did he get all this? But then like, where would you put how would you hide the Holy Grail? Well, if he worked with pirates. You're right. But then again. Like you said, pirates are not like... And maybe the Holy Grail is never there. Yeah. You know? You know, it could it could have just been maybe like gold bars. Who knows? You know? It could yeah. have been like gold bars on that shit. Right. But oh, I love Oak Island. Yeah. They also <laughs> they also found like slave tags and I hate using the word slave. Yeah. Um, it's... But slave tags and other belongings to Samuel Ball during their excavation, which is interesting. Yeah. Like he was in the pit. He was. He had shit in the pit, like his own belongings shit in, in the, the shit in the pit. All right. <laughs> you got your shit in the pit. Um, some and most believe that it is simply a natural formations because sinkholes are very common in Nova Scotia's geology, as well as natural caverns, which could eventually lead to flood tunnels and deep shafts. And the artifacts that they are finding are just people dumping their trash over the last hundred years. Um, But what do I believe? I believe that it is a mix of every single theory. Like, they're all one and the same. I also believe that the pit is a a diversion. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the treasure is spread out throughout the island, which they show that in the show. Like, it's everywhere. It's not just in that one original pit. What do you think? Like, what do you think is down there? I don't know that it's and who as do you think big. Put it there? I don't think it's as big as we all think it is, like the Holy Grail and all that the shit. Ten Commandments. Yeah, like I don't think that. I do think that there's a lot of valuable things hidden there, and I think it was put there by the Knights Templar. I think or it Templar, is. or however you're yeah. supposed to pronounce it. But like, there, and but now apparently they've changed it because guys, we Facetime my mom before this, and we're just like talking. Oh yeah, tell them what she said. So she's like devout to this so i've i've loved growing up and like watching oak island and stuff but like i normally it was during football season when it would air again so Mm -hmm. i never was able to watch it i would normally just like follow it along on the like articles that they would release after it and uh, my mom and my dad watch it every year and basically in the one that they just released, the like headline is like they found the treasure, you yeah, know, like, for this season. Finally, they got it. So my mom started watching it, and whenever we were telling her about it, she was like, "No, um, she's only watched like episode one, but so far what they have found is they tested the minerals in the water around everything mm-hmm. on the island, and that there's like extremely high levels of silver and gold. Like it's just everywhere in the water, like." everywhere so basically saying that there's something sitting there and soaking that is gold and silver so i believe there is something down there i don't know what it is i mean i'm sure there's i mean there's so much shit that we just like why but pause why is that our like human reaction like we get something we love it we want to keep it from people we bury it Right. Like, you know, like, how crazy is that it's like dogs like it's something so ingrained in our head oh my god no theory maybe yeah um but 
let me i'm gonna wrap it up and then i want to throw out a theory that i have oh, i'm excited okay um so unfortunately the mystery has not been solved until baby the headlines maybe. but like every season like you said the headlines are always like they found it <laughs> um it's a very dramatic show but there's there is so much more detail that i can get into like i said there is an entire nine season of the shit so you know it would literally take me a month to cover it all but if you are interested i urge you to watch the show and if you don't have all that time um, you can guys can go check out oakislandmystery.com because they go into very good detail. They have every theory. They have a timeline. They have a map. They have um, like a, a map of the pit. Like it's very, very cool. So um, we're going to try to link that in our show notes or yeah. we will link it in our show notes. So you can just scroll down and click on that. Um, anyway, I, hopefully they find it before our time here on Earth is over. But like I, one more person has to die. I'll go up and there. To, like do those deaths that were on that happened in the cove like do they even count they weren't in the pit right they weren't in the money they were well, in the island though they could have been technically in the pit because that that cove is a man-made beach and right area so yeah technically that's a way to the money but, but i don't i don't think the gods of oak island are really giving us technicalities here. well actually there's 12 people that have died on the island oh but not like not in not the, the treasure yeah hunters. like only six of blankenship that were just treasure. passed away yeah i'm so sad i literally saw my eyes out when i found out he died because he's in on every i'm gonna cry talking about it i can't because i have a spray tan <sighs> but this old man has been on every <laughs> my eyes out. okay never mind oh this, my god okay this old mind. man died I'm- and it's so sad so I want to go through this theory out there. Um, when we were talking about Atlantis and Lemuria. I knew you were going to bring it up. <laughs> and other societies that were here on Earth before the Great Flood. Um, when they were preparing for the Great Flood, these civilizations were prepping. And they were taking their most prized possessions. And a lot of people believe they were taking them into caverns and mm-hmm. burying them deep underground so that they would be safe for future purposes and that they leave this like message on like how to like get to be yeah. where they were like because they were extremely advanced civilizations like way more advanced than you could even picture you can us tune right in now. to our uh, patreon, patreon episode four mm-hmm. three, or three or four to listen to her talk about this because she goes in great detail so keep going so maybe um oak island is just one of these locations that one of these civilizations went to and i'm not saying that Stuff that's, well, maybe stuff there is that old, but, like, I do believe that other things, like maybe the Holy Grail or, like, Maria, whatever, Mm -hmm. other jewels have been stashed there over the years, but that word of mouth, because it it had to be passed down from someone, like, this is buried here, this is buried here from these civilizations, so maybe word of mouth just got around to it, and then people started using it as their dumping pit, as something that they see valuable, that they don't, they want to share with the world, but the world's not ready yet. Right. So that's what I kind of think it is. When when you were going through everything, I was I kept being like, you know, and when we when you said the Hollow Earth, I was like, no, it's the fucking Lemurians, and like maybe yeah. this area is like a part of the chakra system or like the portal system. Yeah, that's what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, oh fuck, this has to be connected because it literally said they were like, oh, we took all of our belongings and we hid them deep into mountains and we hid them deep underground. Right, something that would Booby survive traps. a great flood, yep. which is if you guys don't know, that's like the Noah's Ark flood, yeah. like that is the great flood from God. Um, but yeah, um, that's all I have. Sorry, from God himself. Sorry if I butchered it. Um, it is really a lot of information. Okay, and there's just so many different things going on. It, like, you did so good. No, like I, okay. you, everything you said was. I don't know how you did that. 
I really don't know how you did that. I was like this. I was talking like this. <laughs> Ollie's coming over to me. He's dropping his toy on my laptop. I'm like backspace, backspace. Because then it ends up saying like QRTS all over. And then I'm calling her. I'm like, did you see this YouTube video? I'm like, I really don't have time. I have 40 minutes. Can you not talk to me about David Dobrik and <laughs> and someone selling their soul? I've seen it. I've seen it. I'm Morgan. You know what my TikTok is like, like? I know. I was like, I know. But I just want to talk about it. And she's like, oh, we don't have time, dealer. I got to get off the phone. I'm like, okay, bye. Anyway, that's all I have. Um... Tanya, if you got this far, I love you, girl. I think she's gonna. I think she's gonna like it. And you did really, really, really no, good. No, she is not. She's gonna. She, can she, yell at she me never on likes anything. But I think she she's told gonna us, appreciate she goes, this. If you haven't watched every episode of nine seasons, then don't even do it. Don't even bother. Don't even bother. You're not gonna do it right. She, I'm like fuck. I'm not even talking about the show. I just wanted to talk about what it was Oak and the theories and what they've got. Anyway, um, that's all I have. <laughs> That's it. The universe is not in my favor today, but maybe it'll be in the favor of Rick and Marty. Rick, Rick, <laughs> Rick, 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 Rick. The Lagina brothers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. I love them. I love them. I'm, I love them, simply to put it, okay? Anyway, happy episode 60. Happy episode 60. In honor of it, um, I'm chopping my hair off while you guys are listening oh to God. this. Oh, my God. Until she... Until I bitch... Out tomorrow. Okay, tune into my social media to see if I did it. All right. All right, because right. it's at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Episode needs posted in 10 minutes. Gotta roll, bitches. Gotta roll. No music in this one. Sorry, babes. <laughs> Gotta go. Bye. <laughs>